Okay. Well, we are busy with a series, as I think we know, called Image, Be the You That God Wants You to Be. If you're visiting with us today, this will be semi-new for you. Uh, but basically, we are going through uh, different personality types that people have and that God actually wants you to be you. Okay, that He doesn't want you to be your neighbor. He doesn't want you to be someone else. He has placed different things in you. He has allowed different circumstances in your life. Uh, to be able to shape you to become a particular person. But what he wants you to be is, if you may, a healthy you. Okay, so not for you to be your neighbor, not for you to be someone else, but for you to be you, okay, and bear his image into the world. Uh, so that's what we've been doing. We've looked at, what's it, number two, three, four, five. We're almost halfway through, okay? So it's a slow journey, uh, but slowly but surely we are getting there. So... Back in 1999, authors Joshua Piven and David Borgenich released a book called The Worst, the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It provided real-life instructions for what to do in unusual and dire circumstances. The book originally advertised itself as the essential companion for an unsafe age. Okay, this is back in 1999. It offered concise chapters on the obvious, on how to identify a bomb, <laughs> how to land a plane if the pilot is somehow not able to do it, how to survive, I like this one because this happens very regularly, how to survive if your parachute fails to open. There are people, I actually read yesterday, a guy surviving a 13,000-foot drop without a parachute. You must probably read the book. <laughs> it also has chapters on how to deal with the charging bull. Again, absolute necessity. How to jump from a building into a dumpster. How to escape from killer bees. And many other things. Would there be a market for such a book, the publishers asked. They originally printed 135,000 copies of this book. They ended up selling 10 million copies. To whom should the now very rich and grateful author send a thank you note for spearheading their book's epic sales? My guess is that they can start with Enneagram Type 6 who probably account for half of the sales. Sixes see a dangerous world in which disaster can strike at any moment. Appearances are deceiving. People have hidden agendas. They keep their eyes peeled for possible threats and mentally rehearse what they will do when the worst happens. For sixes, imagining and planning for potential catastrophes is a way of maintaining a sense of safety, control, and certainty in a very unpredictable world. They have an inclination for constantly asking, but, but what if? What will I do when? So, imagine a six walking past a bookstore with a book that says, Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. What would they do? They would immediately buy two copies. The first to read, and the second as a backup, in case someone steals the first. 
So today we're speaking about personality type 6 called the loyalist or the faithful guardian. What are sixes like? They are loyal. They are very practical by nature. They are witty. They are reliable. They are committed to whatever it is that they do. They're hardworking. They're responsible. They're trustworthy. They are the kind of person that when in a healthy state, everyone wants on their team. They are excellent troubleshooters. They foresee problems and foster cooperation. They are internally stable, again, when healthy, and self-reliant. And again, you'll often hear me say the word healthy and when healthy. <laughs> Courageously champion themselves and others. Trust, though, is a big issue for sixes. If you have earned their trust as a leader, a friend, or a spouse, then they will be with you through hell and high water. They won't jump or abandon ship. Therefore, they are called the loyalist, because they will be loyal to you, loyal to the organization, to the family group, to the church, to whatever it is that they do. But sixes can also be some of the more skeptical people in your life. Often, sixes find themselves playing devil's advocate, asking probing or even accusatory questions. But what about this? Or what about that? If we're planning to do this, if we're going to have that event as a family group, but what about this? What about that? If we come back to church in the midst of COVID, what about this? What about that? If we take on this assignment, what about this? What about that? If we're preparing for exams, what about this? What about that? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? They aren't, believe it or not, purposefully trying to be difficult or derail everything you are planning or trying to do. They just simply want to know that those that are in charge have everything under control and have planned for anything that can and in their mind will go wrong. Sixes are worst-case scenario thinkers. You can even say specialists, PhDs, you might say. They live in a world of hypotheticals, of what could happen or what might happen, or as I said, what in their mind will happen. They are constantly planning and strategizing in their mind for future events and how to protect themselves and their loved ones from harm. If there ever is a real disaster or a problem, you want a six around, because they've already gone through the scenario multiple times in their head. Alistair said to me this morning, <laughs> With load shedding, he would think of a generator, a backup generator, and a backup generator, and a backup generator to, to back up all the generators to make sure that there's a generator. Sixes are the ones that when they point out the exit row on the plane, they actually count the number of seats to the exit row. And they pay attention to the safety briefing just before taking off, just in case. You never know if this plane will drop in the ocean as we fly from Cape Town to Joburg. <laughs> what is the mantra that gets a six through the day? Always, 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 did I say always? Always be prepared. Every number on the Enneagram lives in some sort of inner tension. For sixes, that tension comes in relation to authority. 
as children, sex is picked up on the fact that adults in charge can't always be trusted. So as adults, they are inherently skeptical of those in power, whether church, work, or wherever they go. While at the same time, while they have that skepticism, they also have on this side a desperate need for safety and security. And so they are constantly having to live in this tension. Can I trust you? I want to trust you as my husband, as my spouse, as my child, as my parent. I want to trust you, but I also want to be safe and secure. And I'm not sure if I can trust you. I want to, but I want safety and security. And there are all these things that are happening around me. And so it's, can you imagine the turmoil as I was reading through this and studying this over the last week or so, it's just, man, I was tired. Thinking of what a sex must go through. This tension leads to some sexes putting too much trust in authority figures, who then inevitably lets them down at some point because the authority figure is, guess what? Human. Other sexes end up trusting nearly all authority figures in order to protect themselves from that very disappointment. But that tension lives on. Famous sexes. Chris Rock. Jennifer Aniston. Who knows the last one? Eminem. Okay. I think our door, our door blew open. The wind is coming in and so the noise of the, of the generator. This maybe explains why he took the slap so well. He was prepared. <laughs> he imagined at some point in his career, someone is just going to walk up on that stage and slap him. And he said to himself, keep your composure. I must say, he did incredibly well. I think he is 53 or 57. He took the slap well. An excellent example of a sex in the Bible is, believe it or not, Simon Peter. I always thought he was a seven. But as you study his life, you'll see that he is a six. Peter was the chief among the disciples. Not because he was the most loving, possibly a two, or the most knowledgeable, possibly a five, but most likely because he was the most committed, a six, to Jesus, the most loyal, to both Jesus and the group. Peter was fiercely loyal to Jesus and lashed himself onto Jesus as an authority figure like no one else. He was willing to die for Jesus. When the mob comes to arrest Jesus in John chapter 18, it says, Simon Peter, who had a sword, why did he have a sword? He was prepared. This kind of thing can happen at any time. Carry a sword with you drew his sword, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Who was the first to confess true belief in whom Jesus actually was? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And the first to speak was Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the true authority figure, the anointed one, the son of the living God. Who played devil's advocate when Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and that the third day arose to life. It was Peter who took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him and said, Never, Lord. He says, This shall never happen. Why would Jesus never die? Because Peter was loyal to him and he would never allow it to happen. Who jumped out of the safety of the boat during a storm into certain terror of a raging sea in order to be near Jesus, his hero, Peter? Who was the closest friend and confidant of Jesus? Peter. Who was invited to the transfiguration of Jesus? Peter. Who wanted to put up a tent at that transfiguration for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? Peter. Now, as we all know, Peter also had his fair share of blunders. When the going got tough, who gave into his fear time and time again? Peter. Who started sinking once he saw the waves and the wind? Peter. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, who said, not just my feet, Lord, my hands and my whole head as well? Who, when Jesus was arrested, followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest, entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome, but not associate with him? Peter. After a little while, those staying there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he, Peter, began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, the rooster crowed. Peter had a hard time coming to grips with the fact that Jesus was going to leave him. When Jesus said in John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He was most properly looking right at Peter. Why? Because the deadly sin of the six is fear. We call it fear, but what sixes actually experience is anxiety. Fear is what arises when you're in the presence of clear and immediate, in the presence of a clear and immediate danger. For example, you wake up in the middle of the night, and in front of you is a dude with a balaclava and an axe. What do you experience? Fear. Anxiety, on the other hand, is a vague sense of apprehension that arises in response to an unknown or potential threat that might never even materialize. Anxiety is what you feel when you imagine waking up in the middle of the night and you imagine standing in front of you as a dude with a volaclava and an axe. What you experience then is anxiety. Fear says, fear says, Something wrong is actually happening. The dude with the axe wants to kill me. Anxiety is more anticipative. What if this happened? What if I wake up in the middle of the night? I'm now six, not me, I don't want to say 60 years old, so let me just talk. I'm 49 years old. <laughs> 48, actually. I'm 48 years old. Now, in 48 years, it's never happened that I wake up and the dude with the axe is standing in front of me. But I imagine maybe if I'm a six, that although I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, this has never happened. But what if 
it happened. Oh, man. And I go into a state of anxiety. What if, what if, what if? That is, if you may, the campaign slogan for the six. Sixes even experience elevated anxiety when life is going smoothly because they wonder what might come along and ruin the smoothness. The relationships or job that seems stable today might, or those being there, evaporate or be taken away tomorrow. And the words of Stephen Wright, if everything seems to be going well, you have obviously overlooked something. That's the six. Sixes have fear of fear itself. Fear of being in danger. Fear of uncertainty. I must know how it's all going to work out. Fear of chaos. Fear of not having support from friends, family. Of not having guidance. Of not having security. But they also fear being blamed. They fear being in trouble. They fear being alone. They fear being targeted. They fear being helpless, unsafe, or physically abandoned. They fear and feel anxious by a whole array of things. These are all the things that Peter most probably experienced and felt as he tried to stay loyal to Jesus. These are the things that he must have definitely experienced after the death of Jesus. As a six, Peter needed as much reassurance as he could get that everything was going to be okay. And therefore Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Peter, you are troubled. You are worried and anxious about many things. Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You trust in God. Now trust also in me. He seems to be saying to Peter, you trusted in me thus far, Peter. Keep going. Don't give up. Every time throughout the Gospels, when Jesus said, do not be afraid, my guess is he was most likely speaking to Peter and the others were listening. Three times after his resurrection, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? In other words, stay the course, Peter. You are loyal. But fear and anxiety is going to be at your door. Don't give into fear. Take care of my sheep. Peter was stronger than he knew. And Jesus saw that from the very beginning. That's why he changed his name from Simon to Peter. I think we all know what the word Peter means. Rock. Do you know what the word Simon means? Snub nose. <laughs> so Jesus saw. Jesus saw a snub nose, and he says, I see in this snub nose someone who is fearful and anxious, and this person that has the potential for fear and anxiety, I see a rock. He was going to be as solid as a Chris Rock. <laughs> An absolute foundational member of the group. It took Peter some time to see himself the way that Jesus did, but he eventually got into it, and he was able to overcome his fear. He was the one that was primarily entrusted with carrying on Jesus' mission after the resurrection and ascension. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, it is Peter who stood up with the eleven, raised his voice together with the eleven, and addressed the crowd. 
It was Peter who called the people of Israel to repent and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was Peter who preached a sermon that eventually led to 3,000 people being added to their number that day. He overcame his fear and he remained loyal to Jesus. Sixes, you are stronger and more capable than you think. Do not give into your anxiety. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in Jesus also. Worrying will never take away tomorrow's troubles, but it will certainly rob you from today's peace. And when you're sitting in that moment, and again, I'm praying for you, okay, I have my own issues, <laughs> which will get to me later, but I'm praying for you. When you're in that moment where you think, but what if, 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 and you're full with anxiety about what could happen, what might happen, you have to remember, do not worry. Do not let your heart be troubled. Because when you allow anxiety to take a hold of your heart, it causes trouble. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Sixes, we need you. We need you to ensure that the community is preserved, that we don't go into extinction as a church. We need you to help us to be prepared when disaster strikes because disaster does strike less frequently than you think, but it does happen. We value your loyalty, your commitment, and we value even your questions. You are the bedrock of our churches and families and organizations. Without you, we tend to simply drift apart from each other. You keep us grounded and secure. You provide us and help us to have a sense of security, the very security that you desire yourself. Sixes, that is the you that God wants you to be. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Amen.